With a 50% obesity rate in the U.S. and more unhealthy people than ever before, it is time to make America healthy. Welcome to Make America Healthy with Beth Shaw. If you're feeling tired, toxic, heavy, slow, or stressed, then keep listening. Beth and her expert guests are here to offer practical advice and share the tools you need to reclaim your physical, mental, and emotional health. Now, here is your host, Beth Shaw. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Recording in Progress. We are very happy to have you on with us today. We've got a great show for you. Our goal here at Make America Healthy is to empower you with information so that you can make more educated choices for your physical and mental health, of course, as well as your emotional health. So today's topic is, is too much on your plate, emotional eating, psychological factors that cause overeating, and maybe we'll find some cures. We're here today with Dr. Melissa McCleary, who is a psychologist, emotional eating expert, author, and host of the Too Much on Her Plate podcast. She's also the creator of the Missing Peace program that supports smart, busy women in creating freedom from overeating and peace with food. So, Dr. McCleary, thank you and welcome to Make America Healthy. Uh, as you know, this show focuses on uh, improving the health of everyone worldwide. And certainly, uh, you know, what we're eating has a lot to do with that. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started, and how you help uh, women overcome the cycle of food addiction. First of all, thank you for having me, and thank you for what you do in this show. Um, My background, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I have been working with women around food and weight and eating and every possible way you could combine those things since the 19, well, since the, since the 1990s, late 1980s, I've been doing this for a very long time. Um, I've been online helping people worldwide since 2006 and um, have moved into the kind of work that I do in part because I just heard way too many smart, incredible women who had who had created incredible success in all sorts of areas of their lives, feeling stuck and frustrated when it came to breaking cycles with overeating, with emotional eating, with binging and overeating at night, and who were telling me, I know this is something I will always struggle with. I know this is going to be my life's work. I know this is something I'm always going to have to work really hard to control. And the truth is, it does not have to be that way. The truth is that that it really is possible to break those kind of cycles, to create a relationship with food that works for you, and to be able to put that time and energy that goes into that the struggling and trying to control overeating and emotional eating, put that energy somewhere where you'd you know be creating things that you enjoy. So I'm, I have so many questions to ask you. Uh, the first one is. Um, you know, a lot of women uh, struggle with food issues. Uh, I, you know, kind of spend a lot of time in the fitness industry and certainly it's rampant there. Obviously we have a, you know, huge obesity rate in the country right now. So we can only assume that uh, that's part of it. I wrote a book called Yoga Lean. And in that book, I, I basically said that if you have, you know, too much extra weight on your body, basically it's kind of like you're hoarding food on your body. Um, and the yoga lean book is a lot about clearing out the clutter so we can have more space to be our best selves. Um, when does this pattern get started for most women? Well, boy, that is, that's a tough one. You know, I think we live in a culture. I don't think, I know we live in a culture that encourages us to use food and eating for so many things that have nothing to do with fuel. Right, we get marketing messages daily. Food is food is excitement. Food is love. Food is stress relief. Food is a way to celebrate at the end of a hard day. Um, and so, our relationship with food is complicated, oftentimes from childhood, not always. Um, the other piece of that is that there are so many 
so many places in life where it is easy to not be getting what you need. And it becomes so easy to fill in the cracks with food, right? So if you think about um, a, a, a typical day for a woman who is trying to balance lots of things and lots of different roles in her life. So being too busy, stress, emotions, overwhelm, not getting enough sleep, all of these things are so tempting to try to take care of by reaching for something to eat. And we also live in a culture where food is everywhere, right? You don't even have to get out of your car. And is it safe to say that a food addiction is a more acceptable addiction than, let's say, a drug or alcohol addiction? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's also easy. You can do, you can eat just about anywhere. <laughs> you can, and without stopping the other things that you're, that you're trying to maintain or balance or do, right? It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate um, coping strategy for a busy, overwhelmed person. And a lot of people who, let, let's say, come from a background of drugs or alcohol addiction, once they get into sobriety, I've heard that cross addictions often come in the way of food. Sometimes, yeah. You know, um, I think the big question is is less what are, well, I don't want to say this. It's not so much what we are doing, but why we are doing it. Right. Right. And so with addictions, what you see is if, if you haven't really figured out what is, what is part, what is the psychological piece of that, that drives that addiction? In what way psychologically do those things help you? Then you're going to find something else to substitute to get that same need met. And who is your typical client? My client typically is a uh, high achieving woman who has achieved success in multiple areas of their life. They may be a busy mom. They may be a busy professional. They, I've worked with fitness professionals. I've worked with physicians. I've worked with CEOs and attorneys um, who, who have created all sorts of amazing results in their lives. And I guess what I say is they're used to getting A's. They are very good at getting A's and putting checks in boxes. They know more than they ever wanted to know about food and nutrition because they are problem solvers and they have, they could write a book on some of these things. And yet they are struggling with overeating or emotional eating. It is often eating at night and they are so frustrated because they cannot figure out how to make the connection between what they know and what they are trying to do. And talk to me a little bit about night eating, because I, you know, I'm not a, so much of a like a day or morning eater, but it, I'm I'm definitely a night eater. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm giving up the Sour Patch Kids, and and if I'm going to eat at night, it usually is like something like fruit that's at least healthy. But tell us why night eating is is there like some psychology around that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, we'll get into. We'll get into hidden hungers um, probably later in our conversation. But we, as I said earlier, it is it is very easy. In fact, it's pretty human to get into patterns where we are using food for things that are not fuel. We are using food as a way, kind of a stopgap measure to take care of needs that maybe we don't have time to take care of or we don't know how to take care of or we're too stressed out and focused on other things to want to take care of them. We're trying to just push them away. Um, we're trying to get through the day with willpower and discipline, right? We have whether it's around work or taking care of all of our, of our responsibilities, or maybe it's around nutrition. Um, our energy ebbs throughout the day, so we get towards the end of the day. We've used up our energy. We've used up our willpower. Oftentimes, if we are living a super busy life like that, um, our blood sugar is not in a good place at the end of the day. And I think the other piece that is so important that we often overlook, actually there are two, is that um, it is so easy to get to the end of the day, especially I think for women, and feel like you have given it all away. You have spent your whole day working really hard and now it's your time, right? There's some, I didn't get anything for me all day long or I deserve a reward. I really deserve a treat. This was a horrible day and now is my time but now is your time and you're out of bandwidth and you're exhausted 
and you don't have the energy to go do some big, huge creative thing that maybe you're saying, well, I really should go do this. You know what is easy? What is easy is sitting down in front of the TV with a bowl of ice cream or for you, fruit. (laughs) Um, The other piece, the the, the second piece of that is that um, we live in a nation that is chronically sleep deprived, right? And so you get to the end of the day, you're exhausted. You're really exhausted, but you still want that treat. You still want that little extra something for yourself. The, the little angel on your shoulder is saying, you should just go to bed. You don't want to go to bed. This is the only time you get all day, yeah. right? And so we get into the eating instead of resting, and it just exacerbates the cycle. So Ed, we were speaking before the show, and I told you I run these online weight loss and weight management groups. And, and I really try to share with them that, you know, give yourself the gift every day of an hour of movement. Uh, go to the gym, do some yoga, go for a walk. Um, because that's really the best gift that you can give yourself. Uh, you know, coping strategies, meditation, instead of having a coffee and something sweet at four o'clock in the afternoon when we're, we're all crashing. Uh, and, and I myself notice if, if I get less than six, six and a half hours sleep, I'm definitely craving carbohydrates and I'm definitely craving sugar. Absolutely. Yeah. But on a night that I have a normal, you know, eight, nine hours, it's very different. Oh, sleep. I I could talk to you for the entire hour about sleep. Sleep is so important. And it is it's so interesting how we minimize our need for sleep. And we and that's it's almost not almost in our culture. I think there's a glorification of of course, you're tired. Of course, I didn't get enough sleep. Of course, I was so busy. Um, but yeah, sleep makes everything harder and it will your relationship with food is completely different if you're not getting enough sleep. So I know you have a couple of different uh, protocols and programs that you run. Can you give us a little idea of like someone were to come to you as a client, uh, the type of program you would put them through when they can start to see positive results? And then, of course, some of your best success stories. Well, so um, what I, the, the program that I am so proud of that I uh, that most of my clients go through is my group coaching program. It's called Your Missing Peace, but peace is P-E-A-C-E. And it really is about redesigning your relationship with food, really moving out of a mentality of depriving yourself and going hungry and see what happens if you get into a mentality, the whole diet mentality, right, of of, um, deprivation is that there's also always the rebound. There's the other side of deprivation, right? There's the there's the being good or being bad or starting over. And that's the thing that so many of my clients want to break is the cycle of endlessly starting over on Monday or the first of the month or when there's the next full moon, right? Um, and so, so I work with my clients to come from a different place. I work with my clients to take their power back so that they can figure out what is what is the relationship with food that's going to work best for them. What is it they need to um what needs to be fed inside of them so that so many of these cravings can go away, right? If you're using food for stress relief, if you are an emotional eater, if you are using food to numb out because you are so overwhelmed at the end of the day that you just don't have the energy to process one more thing. If if it's stress eating, um, it, when you have emotion, uh, when you have psychological reasons for your eating, which most women do, you can be handed the most elegant food plan in the world. It might be the most perfect food plan for you. But if you don't address the things, the ways that food is helping you, and I'm, I'm putting air quotes around that because it's a temporary short-term fix, but if you don't address the ways that food is helping you get through your day or get through your life, trying to stick to even the most perfect plan is going to be either harder than it needs to be or impossible because you've got needs that you are trying to take care of with food that need to be attended to. So, so I want to ask you something on that because, yeah. you know, I'll tell my clients, okay, 
don't keep certain foods in the house that you know are going to trigger you. Like I, I have, I have, a, I like candy, and I used to eat. I could when I had PMS, I could go through a bag of Sour Patch Kids in a night, and I'm talking big bags sometimes, no problem. Um, and that's another thing I think as women we're struggling with, like menstrual cycles, cravings, and all of that. You know, two weeks out of the month is uh, always challenging. So if if we don't have, and I hate to call food like bad food, good food, but, you know, if we don't keep things at hand that are not going to support our nutrition, let's say that, and we make things a little bit more challenging for ourselves, like, you know, if you want ice cream at two o'clock in the morning, but you don't have any in the house, like chances are you're going to be too lazy to go out and get it. Um, do you offer your clients very practical solutions in how to, it's, it's like an alcoholic that keeps vodka in the house. Vodka in the, yes. Absolutely. And I, I often work with the woman who is listening right now who is saying, I know that. So why do I keep buying the donuts? Right? I know that. So why, why I know that. Why am I doing this? Why is there chocolate in the, in the pantry? Um, there is, it's so, I, I work with the people who know many of the right right things in air quotes to do and they cannot figure out how they can be so disciplined that they got a PhD and they run a major company but they but they aren't doing the things that they know would help them break a cycle with eating right yeah that makes perfect sense um also wanted to ask you when you you see these women, they come to you for counseling, uh, you're giving them a program and a protocol. When do you start? And first of all, I want to ask, are all of them overweight? Um, no, no. Okay. Yeah, I work with women who have um, who have weight they want to lose. I, ha- I work with women who are just, basically like they'll say I eat healthy. Um, they're they're like you, Beth. They're like, if I eat in the evening, it's fruit, right? I have ref- I have refined my diet, but I think about it all day long. I am tired of being a slave to the scale. I am tired of waking up in the morning and deciding if it's a good day or a bad day because of what I did yesterday. I'm I'm tired of the the quote I hear most often is I am so tired of the brain space this is taking up, and I, I want to be able to think about other stuff. And I guess anyone who has struggled with any type of addiction, whether it's a love addiction, an exercise addiction, whatever, can completely relate to what you just said. Absolutely. Um, what other coping skills uh, do you do you have for our listeners right now? I think that the if this is resonating with you, right? If you are if you are somebody who is frustrated with your relationship with food. There are a couple of, of thoughts that I would like you to consider and take on board. One is the underlying piece that I have been sharing as we've been talking, which is that if you are eating, whether it is overeating, any anytime you eat, there is a reason that you are eating. If you are eating, it might be a need for fuel. It might be because your blood sugar is low. But I hear so many times people saying, well, I'm not even hungry. I just should, I just need to knock it off. Okay, that's not working. If you're if you're resonating with what I'm saying, just slapping yourself on the wrist or coming up with a set of rules for yourself, you're you're angry with yourself because you keep breaking your own rules. So so starting with the premise that there is a reason. And the the first strategy is starting to be curious. What do I know about what I'm why am I why am I what do I know about why I am eating? Right? What do I know about that? And you you may not have perfect answers, but you may know, well, of course I'm tired, or I know I'm stressed, or I know I'm eating because I just had the most difficult conversation ever with my boss, or I know I'm eating because I'm trying to procrastinate because I don't want to write that proposal, or what do I know about what is going on? Because spoiler alert, you cannot you cannot start taking care of what is going on if you don't give yourself space to know what it is. Yeah. And, and, yeah. What gets measured gets results, right? Yeah. And so much of our eating happens on automatic pilot, right? Without thinking about it. I, I just ate. Why did you eat it? I don't know. I was just in the kitchen. I just grabbed a handful. Why did you do that? Not in a judgmental, why did you do that kind of way? But what, what, do you, what brought you to the kitchen? Why did you end up with that handful of cashews? 
right? And as we start to see the patterns and you can start to you can start to learn something about hidden hungers, what what is that hidden hunger that's happening? Um, and and then you can start to respond to those things. There's a process to it. It is a different process than a traditional, I want to change my eating, give me a food plan, let me start applying this, let me start eating this way. There, there are also there's all sorts of value in in changing your eating. But if it's if you have not been successful in doing that, it's time to look at why and start uh, to understand. My online group has been we've been doing a lot of intermittent fasting and, and some of them have worked up to uh, one day a week of fasting. And they say that it has really changed their relationship with food. I have been doing this work long enough that I, I, I often say there's only one thing I know for sure. And that one thing is that there is not one way of eating that works for all of us, right? You, you, yeah. And so that skill, back to skills, I think that skill of being able to listen to yourself and being able to connect with what you know about and start to learn more about what you know about what works for you and what doesn't work for you is so important because there's so much advice out there. And, you know, there's so much conflicting advice out there and there's always going to be a new idea. Some of those may work beautifully for you, but, but it's, it's, I've seen, I've seen people who love that way of eating and have tremendous results. And I have worked with women who that just wasn't for them. Right. Yeah. So there's definitely not a one size fits all when it comes to food. So I want to do a deeper psychological dive right now. And I also would like to know if you feel that this is more uh, common for women, this whole like cycle of beating yourself up. So I know I have in the past few years in particular, really tried to not do things that I will then beat myself up for because, you know, it, it kind of turns into a vicious cycle. But I think for a lot of people based upon their upbringing, their childhood, they're used to uh, or, or being in that neural pathway of self-judgment, self-criticism, and then I don't want to say purposefully doing things to sabotage themselves, but how much of this is subconscious, beyond our control, patterns that were formed uh, from, from early on uh, that, that is very hard to get out from under to the point where, and, and I'll, I'll relate this to, I went through a very bad breakup about three, just over three years ago. And for about a month, I was very, very depressed and sad every day and thinking a lot about the person. And then when the fog started to lift and I realized that so much of my mental energy was not going into that grief and analyzing things and all of that, it was this tremendous amount of space and freedom. Um, is that something that we can look forward to if, if we're working your program? Is it, again, common that we engage in behaviors and patterns where we can then beat ourselves up to reinforce perhaps not feeling that great about ourselves on a certain level. Absolutely. And it makes everything harder. There are, there are some specific mindsets that absolutely get in our way. Um, one, of, one of them is the whole uh, mindset that diet mentality reinforces, which is here is a plan. You need to follow it. I'm oversimplifying this, but here's a plan. You need to follow it. If you're not following it, you need to try harder, right? And so what happens for for the women that I work with, they you get it, it's like a hamster wheel because if you have a plan, if you have a plan that either is not going to work for you or if there is some reason or reasons that you are not able to follow the plan, Maybe there's something those those hidden hungers that you're not paying attention to. What happens is it's a hamster wheel where you are trying. It's like that poster: beat your head against the wall. You know, bang head here. Yeah. You you're you're running on this hamster wheel, working harder and harder every Monday, saying this is the week I'm going to do it. I'm going to have more discipline. I'm going to have more willpower. I am going to be stronger. I'm going to stop being so lazy. But it's not it's not tuned in where it needs to be, right? You're you're not aligned on the path that you need to be on, and so that is exhausting. And you combine that with perfectionism 
all, you know, I, all, it's all ruined. I got to start all over. I, I always wish that we could measure the amount of overeating that happens between the moment that um, people decide it's ruined and I'm going to have to start over on Monday. So now I've blown it. I might as well. I, I hear that in my yoga lane groups a lot yes. too. Um, but, you know, again, relating this to alcoholism, I, I, and I know a lot of people in recovery, like if there's a relapse, it's pretty hardcore. It's not just, oops, I had a glass of champagne. It's, you know, I had uh, six martinis and ended up on the side of the road somewhere. Um, are we addicted to beating ourselves up or doing things that just don't serve us? I don't think we're addicted to beating ourselves up. I think we don't realize that we have a choice. And that when one of the things we do in my program is that whole kind of relapse cycle that you're talking about, part of what fuels that when it comes to food is those thoughts I've ruined it. I messed up. What is wrong with me? Yeah, but it's just let's just say it's just a day. You had a donut. Tomorrow's another day to to shift your diet around again, right? Well, it's not even and not even a day. It's like so so I can I can look down at my feet and literally decide. Okay, so what's the next step I want to take? Right? I I can finish the brownies. Or I can go brush my teeth, or I can just go sit outside for a minute, or I can I can actually take it a moment at a time when I can slow things down and um, that all or nothing and the pressure to get it perfect, the all or nothing thinking and the pressure to get it perfect and the um, pressure to make big results happen quickly, um, it, it, it undermines so many, so many efforts. And it, it also takes away, it also erodes over time your hope and your confidence because you've got these cycles of feeling like you are never getting anywhere and like you're always starting over. And then after a while, people start believing, oh, this is never going to work for me. Right, right. So they just kind of give up. So where are we at? Themselves. Yeah, where are we at as a nation right now? You know, um, the average COVID weight gain was 29 pounds. Our obesity rates are, uh, you know, fast approaching 50%. Uh, they said that I think 60% of the population is overweight right now. And they project within 10 years that the number is going to climb substantially. And if you look back historically, you know, early 80s, we, we didn't have such high numbers. So the trend is not moving uh, in a good direction for anyone. Um, what's going on out there? Why is it more prevalent and do you feel like there is any hope in this turning around? Yes, I do feel like there is hope. Um, I think what's going on, as as you know, is so complicated, right? And we could we could look at the nutrition piece, we could look at the marketing piece, we could look at um, my my job is to look at the psychological piece, and I feel like we are doing a disservice to people by not paying attention to that. Um, I. The if if we don't look at it's not everything. I am not saying that the only reason you know there is there is an obesity crisis in this country is is because of the psychology of overeating, but I am saying that a lot. I've talked to a lot of physicians who are so frustrated by, and we won't even get into the lack of training that physicians get around uh, yeah. around right weight and nutrition, but. Um, we are we are taught, especially in this country, I think, or in the Western world, that you know, if you want to make something happen, you just go out and do it. <laughs> right? Effort and hard work. And if we don't look at why why that's not happening on a psychological level, we are missing a huge piece of the puzzle. We are teaching, we are teaching um, our children. We are we are we have already been taught. That food is an, is an easy and accessible, convenient way to cope. And if, if you don't address that, executing all the rest of the plan to make things better gets, gets uh, really difficult. And for some people, it is impossible. So if you were to wave a magic wand and, you know, starting early in our education system, what information would you want to impart to youth? so that they don't struggle, you know, when they hit 25, 35, 50. I actually read an article last week that said one 
in five women over age 50 are addicted to food. And that's probably, that number is probably a little low. I'll send you the article. It was very interesting. Yeah. I, I think that I, so you, some of, some of your listeners may roll your eyes because I'm not going to talk about food. Okay. But I think if I could teach one skill that I wish I had been taught as a child, if we could, and as, as a, as a, a you know, grown ass woman, if you, you know, if this, if you could practice this one skill, um, take a pause, practice like you were saying, but practice pausing, practice pausing throughout your day as children, adults, stop. You can put your hand on your heart, take a couple of deep breaths and ask yourself three questions. What do I know about what I'm feeling? What do I know about what I'm needing? What do I know about what I'm wanting? So much mindless eating is happening in our world. There are lots of different reasons, but so much mindless overeating is happening because we are short-circuiting that whole path of identifying, stopping, being grounded, figuring out what's going on inside of us, figuring out what it will take to take care of those things, you know, and something happens in my body, I go to, I grab something to eat. Something happens, I end the meeting on my Zoom call, I find myself in the kitchen with a handful of something. Something happens, we're not doing the processing work. We're not connecting to ourselves. And we're not developing the skills to take care of ourselves in really deep, meaningful, important ways. And we're using food as a Band-Aid. Right. Um, and in terms of like people being in touch with their bodies and moving their bodies, do you have any type of an exercise or mind-body protocol that you give to your clients? I encourage my 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 people to. I, I love movement. I'm a runner, and I if I am not outside every day in a beautiful place, I am not a happy person. Right. And so for me, it's, it's how can you move your body? How can you, and how can you divorce moving your body from this should, this heavy, one more stressful thing that you have to do that you dread? I really try to help my, um, my clients find, find the joy in movement. Oh, there's so much joy in movement, dancing, yoga. I mean, I love going to the gym, but I, I, again, I started when I was 15 years old. So I'm very fortunate. And you can be so creative. I had a client who she she was sure I hate exercise. I don't like to sweat. I don't like. And she finally figured out. You know what she loved to do was she she was a music uh, classical music person, and she would put on classical music and she conducted. Wow. I mean, it was a full body. It's like, you know, full body waving her. And she had so much fun, but she had never given herself permission to enjoy it. It was a, it was a kind of a diet mentality should this thing that you're supposed to have to do. And she had enough stuff on her to-do list. She needed joy. Right. Right. We all need joy. I think now more than ever. Oh yeah. However we can find it. Um, so again, uh, when someone starts working with you, um, uh, how long do you think it takes for the, your messaging to kind of sink in and uh, behavioral changes to start to take effect? Well, I'll give you the vague answer that everybody gives, which is it depends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think there are layer there are layers to this process. I always work with people. My program is a six month program, and I always work with people for at least six months in my one on one programs, usually six months. Because there are a couple of reasons for that. One is I, we got to break that cycle of endlessly starting over. I work with high performers who, again, are really used to getting A's. So they come in there and they can do the thing for six weeks or eight weeks or, or whatever. But here's the thing. Overeating and emotional eating, or if you just want to think about when your plan falls apart, when you've gone off track or you gained the weight back or whatever it is. That tends to happen when you're not in bright, shiny, I'm ready to get an A mode. It happens when you get busy or you get stressed or you start to doubt yourself or you start to lose your motivation. And so it is really important for me that I work through, I work with clients through that period because that is the period when, when, when I always tell people, when you start thinking, okay, this isn't going to work for me, I should have done something else, or I just need to go find something else to do. When you can get through that, uh, that is, that's the gold. 
when you know that life doesn't have to be perfect for you to be on track with with the way that you want to eat, that is when you have taken your power back. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, obviously, the more things we can do to feel empowered, hopefully that will translate into all areas of our lives. Uh, I, I think for some people, you know, being in a body that doesn't get in the way of achieving their goals, and this probably relates a lot to uh, successful women, you know, that's a gift. It's it's when we're not taking our care of our bodies and then our body becomes a hindrance or a, a source of shame or embarrassment or discomfort or injury, um, you know, the things we're, we're actually then making our lives even more challenging than, than they already are just by being alive. Absolutely. Right. I mean, um, our bodies, they allow us to do so many things. And the, the freedom that you get when your body works the way you want it to, and when you're not always obsessing about, yeah. right? Or um, The other thing I see so much is people who are postponing because they're not at that place that they've decided is perfect. They haven't achieved their goal yet. Right. They feel like I, I when when I get to this goal, I will I will do these things. I will wear these clothes. I will ask for the raise. I will be confident. I will start dating. And the truth is, the more you can start being that person now, the easier it is going to be to evolve into the goal that you are looking for. Right. And um, like I mentioned in my book, Yoga Lean, uh, and I think yoga is such a powerful tool for people to accept the body that they have today, because that's the body that they actually have to practice with, that they may never get to like some Instagram model type look that, you know, they may want, but they can at least feel comfortable in the body that they're in. And that to me is one of the best gifts that I can personally give someone is, is just to feel good in their bodies. Oh yeah. It's amazing. And, and the price that you pay when you don't, and when you're feeling like I don't deserve to feel good in my body until this thing that feels so far away until I reach this goal. You know, and, and we all know that you can out eat any exercise program, but I'm a huge believer in, in the power of, movement every day for psychological purposes, for empowerment purposes, for, you know, having a different relationship with your body than perhaps around food or alcohol or anything. Uh, there's there's so much joy in that. You know, you re- re- rarely see people who are uh, looking sad or upset in the gym. And I, I, go out, I go out dancing a lot and I, I rarely see people on the dance floor who are frowning. And you rarely see people who regret that they did the the activity or the walk or the workout yeah. or the run. So, you know, often it's it's like that. It's the, um, I always tell my clients, sometimes we have to, you have to be motivated by your future self because, because nobody wants to go out the door on the cold morning. Nobody wants to, it, it, it is that first step that is the hardest. And so sometimes it's thinking about, how am I going to feel an hour from now? Yeah. How do I feel in, how am I going to feel in the morning? How am I, how do I, how do, what does she want to feel? Right. I got, I need to do it for her. And to celebrate the wins. So every day you move, you do an activity, you know, that in and of itself is a celebration because you got to move. And there are a lot of people for a variety of reasons who can't really move. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Oh, go ahead. Tell us, like, what do you see next on the horizon of this whole area of eating disorders and overeating and, and, and the psychology of food? Are they coming out with new science? Are they going to be coming out with any, you know, I don't want to say medication, medication or supplements? Like, are there some things to kind of fill in that we don't know about right now? Science is, has been working on this. You know, the research, the pharmaceutical companies have been working. Yeah, there's so much money to be made. 
right? And yeah, apparently and, there's even more money to be made by selling bad processed food or pharmaceuticals. Well, there's so much have money diabetes to be made everywhere. Diet, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's so much money to be made. And I think what's important to look at is that, um, you know, even the, the latest miracle announcement of this, uh, the, the magic pill or is the, the rates of, of long-term success are pretty abysmal. Yeah. And so, so it is so important to, I believe, to really look at, okay, so where is my power? Because it's not going to be in a magic pill. Where is my power? What can I change? And if I'm not be, if I'm not as effective in this one area of my life as I am in all the other areas, there's a reason. And so how can I start to look at that? Um, one thing we haven't really talked about is the overwhelm that that happens when people start to like, okay, all right, so yes, I get it. I, I am exhausted and but I'm also stress eating and I, I'm also, you know, I also eat mindlessly. And so now I have all the things. So now you've just given me one more overwhelming <laughs> project that I, I would just like a food plan, please, because this sounds like a lot and I don't know what to do about it. Um, and I think that's I think that's very human and very normal. And I think one thing that I really want to make sure we highlight is that just like we were talking about perfectionism before, you don't have to fix everything to start seeing positive changes, right? So back to what you were saying about what is when do people start to see success, um, it varies. But when you start putting changes in place, when you start taking care of the hidden hungers, you do start seeing changes that make things easier, that make things flow better, that reduce your stress, that have you feeling less like you are headed for the couch with a bowl of chips at the end of the day. And so what happens is you see different kinds of changes that feel really, really good. Um, and, and I think it's really important that's, that it can be done one little piece at a time. And it's not like, oh, I have to do this piece and I have to do this piece in 10 years from now, maybe I'll be at my goal. We underestimate, we know this from science, we underestimate the value of small steps and small changes. And they can they can truly be life-changing. Things like pausing, things like asking, what am I really hungry for? Um, starting to take control of your sleep. Oh my gosh, that can change your life. I've been, I'm obsessed with my sleep. I track it with an aura ring. And, you know, I, I have to say, it's one of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning to see how much deep sleep I got. And I never thought I was going to be that person to be obsessed with my sleep. And I was one of those people who, you know, if I could stay up really late and you know, kind of cheat on the sleep, I would. Um, but I, I really recognize what a huge impact it has on me if I don't get enough of it. And I, I think fortunately, we're hearing so much more about sleep now in our society that people are paying more attention to, to what is such a crucial element of health. Absolutely. And it is. So I have, a, I, you know, we had Dr. Nick Perricone on the show a few weeks ago. We had him on last year as well on uh, longevity and, you know, what to eat for longevity. And he had a pretty simple food plan in, I think it was the second book that he put out. Uh, basically, it was a lot of salmon, blueberries, greens, and uh, some avocado, I think. You know, don't you think that a lot of people would be actually happy to have a food plan because then they don't have to think. I mean, companies like Jenny mm -hmm. Craig and Weight Watchers have made, you know, billions of dollars with people either getting, you know, processed packaged foods sent to their home or a type of food plan. Do you think for a lot of people, they're just happy to get that food plan? So all of a sudden now they don't need to worry about what they're going to eat. They know. Oh, I think food plans can be fabulous. The thing is, in order for, and again, I'm talking about I'm talking to, about people who are feeling like this is just a cycle, and I can't break the cycle, and I just keep coming back to the overeating and the emotional eating. In order for the plan to work, it really has to be something that I decide I want to do that feels helpful for me. I have to be in control of it instead of what, what the the cycle that doesn't work for so many people is 
And this it goes back to your question. This comes from years often of history of being of being controlled around food and diet and what you should eat and and monitored uh, your weight being monitored. But what doesn't work is feeling like I have to be on a food plan. Right, I'm being forced to be on a food. Plan. Well, nobody likes to be forced into anything. No, I and do. You know what? It just dry. makes you rebel, right? Yeah, exactly. I do uh, dry January every year, and. You know, I, I, I enjoy my cocktails on occasion. I like to go out. I like to have a good time. And, you know, sometimes I find that restriction will temporarily make one want to party a little bit more than if one wasn't restricted at all. The difference between I'm choosing to do this and, excuse me, I have to do this, or my doctor said I need to do this, or I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm not allowed to eat X, Y, and Z. You've given your power away. Or your power's been taken away from you. Uh, yeah. And, right? and I, you know, as much as I lo- love the 12-step models, and, and I, I find that they're very helpful for a lot of people, like this whole, like, I am powerless, it's not very empowering, I think, to people. The very first thing I do when I work with a client um, or in a, in a paid program or a free program is we, we, like, we find your power in your body, right? right. Because, because so... This is, I'm not talking about healthy eating. I'm talking about diet culture and as, as the problem. And so much of that has left so many people feeling like failures, like, like they're playing a game that's rigged that they can't win, but it's, it's, it's them that's rigging the game. It's somehow my fault that I can't figure out how to win this game. And, and you even, you, even when you talk to people about, uh, what they want. So many women, when I first talk to them, are kind of hunched over and they're kind of timid and they're ashamed that they they have these struggles. And these are powerhouses, right? So finding, like standing in your power and getting to remember that you get to make your own decisions. You get to be the boss of your relationship with food and you get to run all this uh, advice through your own filter of your life experience and your lived experience and make decisions ultimately about what's going to work best for you. And like you said, if, if one can get off that treadmill and uh, not the good kind of treadmill, of course, <laughs> you're, you're freeing up so much more mental space for creativity, for taking up a new sport, for, you know, going to a yoga or Pilates class. Um, and I think, and you'd probably agree with me. I think a lot of people are bored. They're bored and they they don't know what to do. Our world has certainly changed a lot in the past three years. Uh, I know I'm rather traumatized by it all. And I think, a lot, you know, I think people are struggling more than ever before. And I think in, in particular in the U.S., I spent a few weeks in Japan last November. And we had these three-hour long dinners every night, multiple, multiple, multiple courses. You know, of course, all the food was very small. It was mostly protein with some, you know, a little bit of greens. So the only carbs we were really eating were rice. We were drinking a lot, though, I will tell you. I drank like every night that I was there because, you know, that's what my Japanese business partners do. And and, and when in Japan, I'm going to get with their program. I did not see one heavy, no, I saw one heavy person the whole time I was in Japan. And I have a feeling that person was not Japanese. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's a problem that's running rampant more in the U.S. than other places. You could probably speak better to that than I. Oh, I agree. I think uh, I remember going on vacation. This is several years ago in Canada and we were, um, we were staying in a, in a place, a cabin. We had, you know, we bought we bought food. We were preparing food, and and our friends that we were with were Canadian. I live I live near the border, so I live like thirty miles from the border. They live on the other side of the border in Vancouver, um, and we're having dinner. And I pull out my groceries, and they're like, "Those are American potatoes." <laughs> they were, and they brought out their potatoes, which were a third of the size of mine. Right. And that's a vegetable, right? Probably because their potatoes in Canada are not on steroids. Exactly. (laughs) Right. I mean, we, we have such a skewed idea um, and we're, we're constantly being told skewed ideas of what a portion is. Right. And um, portions, portions are out of control and we've trained everybody to look for the cheapest, biggest meal that they can get. Um, Whereas in Japan, it's, kind of the opposite, like everything is small, but exquisite. Yeah. You know, I, I had a client who um, 
decided that it would be helpful to your question about food plans. She decided what would be helpful for her to would be to, she wanted to log her food. She said, I just, cause she was, she was struggling with mindless eating, right? So I'm going to log my food. And then she didn't like that. And she decided instead she was going to just pull out her iPhone and take a picture of her food when she ate and then look at it at the end of the day. And what she discovered, she, she was very visual. She's like, I'm eating the most ugly food. It is so ugly and it's all white. And, and her goal I'm going to, she's, I'm going to experiment. I just want to eat colorful, beautiful food that makes a beautiful picture. Right. It wasn't complicated, but it was, it was part of that joy and that awareness and um, freshness. Yeah. Right. It's funny. I took a group of my yoga leaners who happened to be in the state of Florida yesterday. We went to the Hippocrates Institute in Palm beach for lunch and they only serve raw food. And I've never seen so many different sprouts in my life. You know, we ate these these giant plates of like salads and sprouts. And I was so full from that. I couldn't even eat dinner last night. I don't know if the sprouts expanded in my stomach or what, but it, but it, uh, when you're eating healthy, nutritious, live food like that, it really fills you in a, in a completely different way. So I, I hope that everyone's listening gets the experience to, you know, Go eat some some raw foods somewhere that are very colorful. Beautiful food. There's a lot of beautiful food out there. Yeah. So um, any last words of wisdom for our listeners? We've got about a minute till the close of show. And please tell everyone where they can find you. You can find me at too much on her uh, or the Too Much on Her Plate podcast, which is everywhere you like to get your podcasts. Um, I would really encourage people to come by the website and take the free hidden hungers quiz. When you take the quiz, you get the, you'll find. Well, I'm going to do that too. Yeah, you'll find yeah. not, you may have all the hidden hungers, but what what you'll get is this is my primary. This is the place to start. Okay. And then you'll get a set of resources, free resources that are related to your result so that you can, it, so it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Here is the next step to take to start making changes and to start paying attention in a different and way. And that's too much on her plate.com and we can take the hidden hungers test there. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I would like to thank you. This has been a really great uh, show. Lots of good information. I'm going to be posting it in, in for my yoga lean group to listen to for sure. And we'd like to thank you so much uh, for being on Make America Healthy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Namaste. And we would like to also thank our sponsors, Yoga Fit Training Systems Worldwide, the leader in yoga mind body education, offering virtual and live trainings online, conferences across North America, corporate wellness. And uh, you can save 15% at checkout by using the code VOICE23 at yogafit.com. Please visit me online at bethshaw.com and also on Instagram at bethshawhealth. You can also find all of my books anywhere books are sold. And if you like this show and know someone who needs the information we shared with you today, please share this show. We really appreciate your support and help. Thank you so much, everybody. Stay healthy, stay peaceful, stay happy, stay calm. Namaste. Thanks for joining us on Make America Healthy. We hope we've given you some tools you need to take back control of your health. Until next time, we wish you a healthy and wonderful week.